this morning, we're going to tackle a fairly lengthy passage uh, as we work our way through the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, there's 42 verses in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20, so I want to jump right into it. But let me quickly help you get your bearings as to where we are in this story. There are three main characters in our story today. Uh, first of all, there's King Saul, who is, of course, the first king of Israel. And he has been repeatedly disobedient to God. And so God is determined to give Saul's kingdom to another man, a man who will do all that God wants him to do. And of course, that man is David. As it happens, uh, David is Saul's son-in-law and is a commander in Saul's army. Um, and he is he's still pretty young, but he's repeatedly proven himself not only to be a great warrior, but also just a, a man of godly character uh, and of a great trust and faith in God. And as God gives him success after success after success, all of Israel grows to love David. But as all of Israel grows to love David, uh, Saul becomes increasingly jealous and fearful of David. In fact, things have gotten so bad that Saul is now determined to kill David. Today, uh, Saul has attempted to pin David to the wall three times with his spear. He's plotted to have David killed by the Philistines at least twice. And he's recently just called on his loyal men, uh, including his son, Jonathan, to assassinate David. But Jonathan, who is the third character in this story, is best friends with David. Even before David married his sister, uh, David, or Jonathan has, has pledged an oath of loyalty and faithfulness to David, made a covenant even, um, swearing to be loyal and, and to have this friendship with him for the rest of their lives. And what's even more amazing is that even though Jonathan is the oldest son of Saul and thus next in line to be king, Jonathan has uh, acknowledged and fully supports David to be the next king of Israel. So all of this makes for some incredibly complicated relationships. I mean, David is married to the king's daughter, but the king wants him dead. Uh, the king's son, David's brother-in-law, has orders to kill David, but he's pledged an oath of loyalty to him. In the meantime, David has no idea why Saul is so determined to kill him and has so far remained loyal to Saul, stayed by his side, serving him in faithfulness, despite his repeated attempts by his father-in-law to pin him to the wall with a spear. And you thought things were messed up in your family, right? But all of this comes to a head now today in today's chapter. Finally, the, the lines get drawn in the sand and everything comes out into the open. No more secret plots, no more charades. Everyone can finally see things for how they really are. So let's get into it. But first, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, we thank you as we've been looking through these Bible Project videos that the story begins right with creation and, and you've been weaving and, and putting this story together uh, right through uh, the entire book of the Bible, right through even to our, our point in history today. Uh, you are still working out your good plan uh, to restore your creation to the goodness that you intended. So God, I pray that as we go through this little snippet looking at David's life today, uh, that you would speak to us uh, again, teach us some new things about, about yourself, maybe about ourselves, uh, but I pray that we'd be attentive to the things that you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're reading today in first chapter or first Samuel chapter 20, we'll start at verse one. David now fled from Naoth in Ramah and found Jonathan. What have I done, he exclaimed, what is my crime? How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? Now, understandably, David is bewildered as to why Saul is so determined to kill him because he has been nothing but loyal to Saul and have served him faithfully ever since they first met when David was just a lad. 
Uh, and what's more, Saul has been the one to you know, promote David as the commander of the army. He's encouraged David to marry into the family, offering him twice to marry his daughters. And so it seems really bizarre to David now to see that Saul is so determined to kill him. And so he asked Jonathan, you know, what, what terrible thing have I done to your father that he is so determined to kill me? Verse two, that's not true, Jonathan protested. You're not going to die. He always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know my father wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. Then David took an oath before Jonathan and said, your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. And so he has said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan, why should I hurt him? But I swear to you that I am only a step away from death. I swear it by the Lord and by your own soul. It seems that David and Jonathan have quite differing perspectives on this situation. Uh, you recall back in chapter 19 that, that Saul uh, had urged his men, including Jonathan, to assassinate David. And so Jonathan had, had called his father out and they, they sat down and they had a heart-to-heart -heart conversation. And Jonathan was able to convince his father that killing an innocent man like David would be a terrible sin. And so at that point, Saul had relented from his pursuit to kill David. He actually vowed to Jonathan that David will not be killed. Now, of course, we saw that uh, Saul quickly changed his mind after that and had again unsuccessfully attempted to capture and kill David. Um, but it would appear that Saul was being very careful not to let Jonathan know what was going on. Uh, it would seem from what Jonathan says here that he and his father probably had a, a pretty close relationship where, where Saul would tell Jonathan everything that he was going to do, even the, the little details. And I think that close relationship would certainly explain uh, how Jonathan was able to confront and, and uh, correct his father earlier back in chapter 19. But it would also explain why Saul would hide something like this from his son Jonathan, as David surmised. You know, uh, Saul knows that David and Jonathan are, are best friends. And it would crush Jonathan to see uh, Saul trying to kill David. And so, as David explains, uh, Saul must have determined in his heart not to tell Jonathan what's going on uh, about this plan to kill David so that Jonathan would not be hurt. And of course, this creates just an, an interesting dynamic between uh, David and Jonathan now, because David is convinced that Saul is trying to kill him, and he certainly has good reason to come to those conclusions. But Jonathan is equally convinced that his father is not trying to kill David. His father always tells him everything, and he has vowed that he will not kill David. So what does Jonathan do? How does he react to David's insistence that Saul is trying to kill him? You know, does he just kind of brush off David's concerns? Does he say, oh, David, you're just overreacting. You're making a mountain out of a molehill. Well, let's take a look at verse 4 and find out. It says, tell me what I can do to help you. Jonathan exclaimed, and that's it. And I've mentioned a few times now how I, I admire and respect Jonathan, and I think he continues to impress me here. Probably many of us know what it's like to, to go to a friend when we're, we're facing some kind of a, a difficult situation, only to have them either you know, downplay our concerns and tell them it's, oh, it's not such a big deal, or you know, they, they tell us all of their solutions to our problems, right? You know, If we would just do this, this, and this, then all of our problems would be solved. But it's not usually that simple, is it? And most of the time, I would guess that when we share these concerns with some of our friends, we're not even necessarily looking for answers. We're just really looking for someone to listen to us and to validate our concerns. And that's exactly what Jonathan does for David here. When his friend comes to him feeling just overwhelmed and distressed, Jonathan makes himself fully available to help in any way he can. Even though he might not agree with David's assessment of, of this situation, Jonathan doesn't argue his side or dismiss David's concerns. 
but he just hears David out and he offers to help in any way he can. I think that's that's the mark of a really good friend. And as we're going to see, David already does have a plan in mind. So he's not looking to, for Jonathan's wise advice in this situation. He's just looking for Jonathan to listen and to be available, which is exactly what Jonathan does. And so now with Jonathan's offer to help in any way he can, David proposes his plan in verse 5. David replied, Tomorrow we celebrate the new moon festival. I've always eaten with the king on this occasion, but tomorrow I'll hide in the feed field and stay there until the evening of the third day. If your father asks where I am, tell him that I ask permission to go home uh, to Bethlehem for an annual family sacrifice. If he says, fine, you will know that all is well. But if he is angry and loses his temper, you will know that he is determined to kill me. All right, so David's plan is, is pretty straightforward. Uh, the new moon festival was a kind of a, a monthly festival that David would always attend with the king. And so this time David would purposely not attend that festival just to see how Saul reacted. If Saul was indeed, you know, plotting to kill David at this festival, you know, he would no doubt have a strong reaction if David thwarted his plans. And so if Saul had no issues with David's absence, well, that would be a sign that all was well. Saul obviously had no plans to kill David. Uh, but if Saul got angry and he lost his temper, well, that would be evidence that Saul had it out for David and wanted him dead. And so David explains all of this to Jonathan, and then he adds this in verse 8. He says, Show me this loyalty as my sworn friend, for we have made a solemn pact before the Lord. Or kill me yourself if I have sinned against your father. But please don't betray me to him. So David implores uh, Jonathan to, to do as he's asked and, and not to betray him to his father. In fact, David says, look, if I deserve to be put to death, if I have done some sin against your father, then just kill me right here and now. But don't you know, lie to me and then later betray me to your father. And of course, Jonathan has no such intentions. Uh, verse 9, never, Jonathan exclaimed. You know that if I had the slightest notion my father was planning to kill you, I would tell you at once. So with the assurance that Jonathan will carry out the plan as they've discussed, uh, David then realizes there's a few more details to work out. Uh, verse 10, then David asked, how will I know whether or not your father is angry? Come out to the field with me, Jonathan replied. And they went out there together. Then Jonathan told David, I promise by the Lord, the God of Israel, that by this time tomorrow or the next day at the latest, I will talk to my father and let you know at once how he feels about you. If he speaks favorably about you, uh, I will let you know. But if he is angry and wants you killed, may the Lord strike me and even kill me if I don't warn you so that you can escape and live. May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. And may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die... Treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, saying, May the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again, for Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. A little bit of stuff to work through in there. But as David and Jonathan work out this plan and determine or to determine whether or not the king is trying to kill David, these two men once again reaffirm and even extend their vow of friendship and loyalty. Not only do they pledge loyalty to each other for as long as they live, but they actually pledge to continue that loyalty to each other's families if they were to die. You'll notice that Jonathan says, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. Now, typically in those days, when a new king would come and, and take over from the old king, uh, the new king would wipe out any threats to his kingship, which would include all of the king's relatives and closest friends. And, and of course, Jonathan knows that the day is coming when David will be king over Israel, 
And so we request that David show kindness to his family rather than treating them like his enemies. And of course, David readily agrees to this, and the two of them reaffirm their vow of friendship once again. So with their vows of friendship reaffirmed, Jonathan then continues on with the second part of the plan. Verse 18. Then Jonathan said, Tomorrow we celebrate the new moon festival. You will be missed when your place at the table is empty. The day after tomorrow, toward evening, go to the place where you hid before and wait there by the stone pile. I will come out and shoot three arrows to the side of the stone pile as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy to bring the arrows back. If you hear me tell him, they're in this side. Then you will know as surely as the Lord lives that all is well and there is no trouble. But if I tell him, go further, the arrows are still ahead of you, then it will mean that you must leave immediately, for the Lord is sending you away. And may the Lord make us keep our promises to each other, for he has witnessed them. So now they have a plan both to discover the king's true intentions towards David, and they have a secret code to communicate the results. In two days, Jonathan will go out to the field uh, with his bow and arrow, and he'll do a little bit of uh, practice shooting, and he'll bring a, a young lad with him to help fetch the arrows. And so after shooting three arrows, Jonathan will say, Wait, uh, well, if the, if the coast is clear, Saul's not upset, he'll say, oh, the arrows are on this side to the young boy. But if Jonathan uh, determines that his father's trying to kill David, then he'll tell the boy, no, go further, the arrows are still beyond you. Uh, and David will then know that the king's out to get him, and his only option is to flee. So now with all the details worked out, David and Jonathan put their plan into motion. Let's read and see how it all plays out, starting at verse 24. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon festival began, the king sat down to eat. He sat at his usual place against the wall, with Jonathan sitting opposite him and Abner beside him. But David's place was empty. Saul didn't say anything about it that day, for he said to himself, something must have made David ceremonially unclean. But when David's place was empty again the next day, Saul asked Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse been here for either the meal, yes, or for the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan replied, David earnestly asked me if he could go to Bethlehem. He said, please let me go, for we are having a family sacrifice. My brother demanded that I be there, so please let me get away to see my brothers. That's why he isn't here at the king's table. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore, he swore at him. Do you think that I don't know that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. But why should he be put to death? Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. Jonathan left the table in fierce anger and refused to eat on that second day of festival, for he was crushed by his father's shameful behavior toward David. I think what surprises me the most in this is that you know, Saul has just totally berated his son, and he's, just, he's actually just attempted to kill him, and Jonathan is upset not at his father's actions towards him, but at his father's shameful behavior towards David. Jonathan is still more concerned about the well-being of David than he is even of himself. I mean, what a, what a man of, of godly character. What an example of selfless love. And what a contrast to his father. You know, Saul is so self-absorbed that he's willing to kill his own son now for protecting an innocent man. Saul's jealousy has, has driven him absolutely insane. But as I've mentioned before, that is the path of sin. You know, it starts off as, you know, a seemingly little harmless sin. It grows and it festers 
And before you know it, it's taking you down a path that you never thought you'd go. Now, I think we probably all experienced that to, to some extent, whether it starts as, you know, just a, a little white lie or, or maybe a little bit of envy or, or a little bitterness or a little bit of lust or, or whatever it is. But before too long, you find yourself much further down the path of sin than you ever expected to go with, with the, uh, the hurt and destruction in your wake growing greater than you ever imagined. But the good news is, no matter how far down that path of sin you find yourself, no matter, matter what a wretched person you've become, there's a way to change directions, a way to change your path. Paul writes in Romans 7.24, he says, Oh, what a miserable person I am! Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I think we can relate to that sometimes. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ died on a cross so that we could be freed from sin. He died so that you could change directions. That's actually the word uh, for repent. That's what it means. The word repent means to change directions. And, and maybe that's something that you need to do today. Maybe you've been following the path of sin like Saul, and, and you found yourself where you never expected to be. But Jesus Christ has made it possible for you to change directions. You're not stuck on that path. When Jesus Christ died and rose again from the grave, uh, he defeated the power of sin so that we can have complete forgiveness and restoration, and Jesus will empower you to repent, to change directions. So if you, like Paul, are saying this morning, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Well, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. You can choose today to, to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, and he will give you the power to truly repent. But to get back to our story, well, we'll see how things all wrap up here in verse 35. It says, The next morning, as agreed, Jonathan went out into the field, and he took a young boy with him to gather his arrows. Start running, he told the boy, so that you can find the arrows as I shoot them. So as the boy ran, Jonathan shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy had almost reached the arrow, Jonathan shouted, The arrow is still ahead of you! Hurry, hurry, don't wait! So the boy quickly gathered up the arrows and ran back to his master. He, of course, suspected nothing. Only Jonathan and David understood the signal. Then Jonathan gave him his bow and arrows to the boy and told him to take them back to town. As soon as the boy was gone, David came out from where he had been hiding near the stone pile. Then David bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. At last, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. Then David left and Jonathan returned to the town. So as David and Jonathan parted ways sadly, uh, they once again reminded each other of the loyalty they had pledged to each other and to each other's families. Uh, David and Jonathan would actually only see each other just a, a handful of times after this point, and, and only fairly briefly, as David would continue to live life as a fugitive for the rest of Jonathan's life. But if we were to jump ahead in the story a little bit, we'd see that Jonathan or that David does indeed show loyalty to Jonathan. Uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, once David has been firmly established as king over Israel, he seeks out any of Jonathan's family so that he can show kindness to them. Uh, now, by this point, both Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle, and, and not many of their family remains alive. In fact, uh, David can only find one of Jonathan's sons, a man named Mephibosheth, uh, who had been crippled in both feet. But when David finds that one of Jonathan's sons is still alive, he summons Mephibosheth to come to him, and I imagine that must have been a fearful thing for him, because I, as I mentioned before, you know, the incoming king usually wipes out the whole family. 
But but he summons Mephibosheth and, and he gives him all of the property that once belongs to Saul and he invited him to live with him and, and eat at the king's table on a daily basis, basically treating him like he would treat Jonathan. Uh, and so David continued to show kindness to Jonathan's family even after Jonathan had died. It continued to the next generation. And of course, this is all just a, a mere reflection of the Lord's kindness to us. Uh, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, it says, Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. You know, it's incredible that the Lord's faithfulness isn't just to, to one or two generations. You know, you think of, of your parents or your grandparents, maybe they, they faithfully serve God and, and, you know, somehow we receive blessing through that somehow. But it says here that the Lord's faithfulness continues to a thousand generations for those who love and obey him. That means uh, I did the, the calculations a little bit. A thousand generations is nowhere close to from this point to where we are now. We're good for, for tens of thousands of years yet for a thousand generations. So the Lord's kindness, his loyalty, his faithfulness, his lavishing love extends to even you uh, as part of this, this covenant. In fact, just like how David and Jonathan affirmed and reaffirmed their covenant with each other several times throughout their life, uh, we see that God does that too. Uh, through the scriptures, as we read, we find times where God affirms and reaffirms his covenant with us. Perhaps uh, the, the most significant one that we might think of today is on that last uh, evening before Jesus was crucified. You'll remember that he shared a meal with his disciples and he reaffirmed God's covenant with his people. It says in Matthew 26, 26, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Jesus' death and resurrection is the affirmation and the confirmation that God will continue to lavish his unfailing love on us, on those who love him and obey his commands. Dear God, again, we thank you that our hope is found in you alone. Um, all, all the blessings that you give us right from the time of Abraham uh, that you promised so long ago, uh, all the blessings that we enjoy and all the blessings we look forward to in eternity, they're all because of you. Uh, God, we thank you so much for your incredible love for us, for this uh, covenant that lasts from generations to generations, the, the, the love that you lavish upon us each day. God, may we, may we bless you in how we live and how we receive your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.